Welcome to Digital Marketing Intelligence for Shopify, Ask the Experts. Our weekly podcast and video show offers Shopify's ecosystem of brand owners, store developers, app providers, investors, and marketing agencies, insights from case studies and discussions with marketing and e-commerce experts. Grow faster with tips, tricks, and proven strategies and learn what's new in e-commerce digital marketing for 2022 and beyond. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Digital Marketing Intelligence for Shopify Ask the Experts. I'm Marissa Morgan, your show host. I'm also the Business Development Manager at Engage. On behalf of myself and the entire team at Engage, I'm excited to welcome you to today's show. Today's topic is acquiring and retaining customers in a faltering economy. It's a crazy world we live in right now. We all know the economy is just so vastly different today than it was, let's say, five years ago. So I'm excited to introduce our guest in just a moment, who's going to share with us some great strategies for retaining customers. One thing we've learned during the course of our series this year is it's a lot less expensive to keep a customer than to go out and get a new customer. So I'm excited to hear what our guest has to say. He's actually the CMO of an award-winning Shopify agency. So I'll introduce him in just a moment. Before I get started though, of course, all of today's invaluable information is brought to you by Engage. Engage launched just this past May, the SMS messaging for Shopify store app. It's an app that gives you the opportunity to be where your customers are, and that is on their mobile devices. And it gives you the opportunity to build customer lists faster, to increase sales, and save time with automations. You can find out more at www.ngagge, that's www.engage.com, where you can actually put any US-based mobile device number into that website and and literally take the app for a test drive. We're also offering a free 30-day trial right now. So you can go to that website, sign up for a free trial, and get 500 free SMS messages to take for a test drive. You've got nothing to lose but an incredible amount of business to gain. Build those loyalty programs, build subscription programs, get those automated campaigns out there to drive sales and really connect with your customers to build a community. And you can do that with our app. And it's so incredibly easy. So make sure you check that out, www.nengage.com. All right. Without further ado, joining us today from across the pond, a couple hours north of London in Birmingham is our incredible guest, Louise Thompson. Shoot, not Louise. That's a female name. Lewis. I even made sure I knew how to say it before we started our show. Lewis Thompson. If you don't know who Lewis is, you need to. He is a passionate digital marketer with a creative flair and an entrepreneurial spirit. He also has a fantastic accent, which you'll hear in just a few moments. For the last four years, he's called the Shopify agency Eastside Co. Home. Uh, he is the CMO of that company, but his entrepreneurial spirit really kicked into it, into gear about 20, 20 years ago or so in his early 20s when he took his experiences and started applying them to start some really 
amazing work for reputable brands around the world within the creative and advertising spaces. He helps build strategies and content that create growth and consistent return on investment, and he brings teams together to ensure that each and every user experience is the best it can be, and every output is driving results that are in line with overall business goals. He's very results-driven. He's, he's got a very creative approach to digital marketing, and that is what he's passionate about. And I love his, his thoughts. His thoughts are everyone has a story to tell, so it's very important that you tell that story well. I really like that, Lewis. And a fun fact about Lewis, a couple fun facts, actually. Like many of us, he's an avid Netflixer, but like not a lot of people, however, like myself, we have something in common and that is we both have experience performing stand-up comedy. Lewis, I've performed all over Los Angeles at like the Comedy Store, Flappers Comedy Club, the Hollywood Improv, and you've got a little background in comedy as well. I think this is a fun little fact to share and something fun that we have in common, a little digital marketing experience and some comedy. Welcome to today's show. Thank you so much for being our guest expert. I'm excited to have you. Yeah, no, thank you for having me. I very appreciate it. It's, uh, it's a great intro. And yeah, you, you've managed to dig out some of the some of the fun facts from my history for sure. Yeah. Tell us how, um, let's first talk about this comedy, uh, comedy uh, thing that we have in common, because I don't think I've ever had a guest in our almost two years of doing this show that has a little bit of a background, a little bit of love for for making people laugh like I do. When How old were you and, and where was the first time you performed stand-up comedy? Uh, I think I was, I must have been very early 20s, maybe 20, 21, um, and did uh, all stand-up comedians in, in the UK, they just start by usually going to a pub somewhere, there is a room above a pub every night of the week in London somewhere, where there's some kind of open mic night going on, so just went out and wrote five minutes of material, uh, I thought I'd written five minutes of material at least anyway. And uh, and yeah, I went and performed at an open mic and then did that for, um, you know, performed two, three, four times a week uh, in London and around the UK, uh, different open mic nights for for about a year or so. Um, yeah, it's very, very scary, very tiring, but but a lot of fun when you get it right. It's not so fun when you when you don't get it right. But, you know, it was, uh, it was definitely an interesting time. It's a tough career. I, I've got a lot of respect for people who who uh who make it into the limelight i do too and you know the one reason well a couple of them but one of the main reasons i didn't keep up with it was because this is kind of funny i always thought i was like a night person always yeah. thought i was a night person and i think i was until my probably mid mid 30s yeah and then i started going wow in order to do stand-up comedy like your day doesn't really start till like 10 o'clock at night. You're going to, you're getting ready to leave your house to go to an open mic night at 9.30, maybe 10 mm -hmm. o'clock. And you're not even getting on stage till midnight. And I said, wow, yeah. like, I don't know if I can have the energy to do that and also work during the day. And then I thought, even if I make it right and I get the opportunity to go on the road and maybe open for somebody who's more well-known, I'm like, I got to find a dog sitter to take care of my dog. <laughs> I travel all over the, the country. And I just said, wow, as much as I love the, the, um, I think I love the energy, the adrenaline, the high mm -hmm. that you get from being on stage and making people laugh. I said, I just I think I'm getting a little too old to be up till two in the morning every night. And I think my dog would hate if this career worked out for me. So I think that yeah. was kind of my, 
my, uh, you know, coming to Jesus moment, as they say, <laughs> and you say, I just don't know if this is what I want to do. Although I wanted to jump back into it now that I'm in Minnesota. However, yeah. when COVID happened, all of the clubs and, you know, anywhere where you could do stand up shut down for so many years. Yeah. And I think a lot of people just said, oh, yikes. You know, a lot of people took it to online and stuff. But mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Hey, well, here we are both in the digital marketing space, which this I absolutely love. I mean, yeah, I feel it's like it's different, is, but still fun. It is different, but still fun. And you still get to connect with people, which I think is really uh, a big part of why I love this this uh, business. I love hosting this show for Engage. And, and this year, we're really focusing on Shopify. And mm -hmm. that makes you the perfect guest for an episode because you are the CMO of an award-winning agency. So before we dive into today's talk, which we will in a moment, mm -hmm. share with us a little bit more about what Eastside Co. does for its clients in the Shopify space. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Eastside was founded maybe 10 years ago. And uh, initially we were what we would say pl platform agnostic, I suppose. So we would work on Magento, Shopify, WooCommerce, whatever, whatever clients needed us to work on. Um, I suppose about eight years ago, uh, our, our founder, Jason, made the decision to focus completely on Shopify, really believed in what they were doing. Uh, really believed in the platform and you know we've we've been lucky enough to be working with Shopify one of their kind of original five plus partners in the UK and been working with them ever since uh, and that platform has obviously seen phenomenal growth and, and we've seen really great growth alongside it um, so you know initially building websites uh, uh, and designing websites for people and then every time we see um, you know, a, a kind of roadblock for a customer within e-commerce, within digital e-commerce, you know, that is a, it's a kind of flag for us to say there's, there's a service there or there's a need to provide those expertise. So over time, we've built out, um, you know, a significant uh, technical backend development team to build apps and integrations with Shopify. We have a really great marketing team uh, with, with specialisms in, in all the different tactics. Our design team has grown from just designers into, you know, UX UX specialists, um, and and now essentially what we do is is offer if it's in e-commerce and it's digital, you know we have we have a specialist in that area. So we try to be a one-stop shop for for anybody who's on on Shopify, anybody working in e-commerce. You know we try to support them right from you know the initiation of the brand all the way through to you know scaling it and growing it. That's fantastic. So you've really taken all of the years that the company's been in the space, taking mm -hmm. every need, every customer need, every roadblock, every speed bump, every kind of problem that your clients have had and turn those into uh, more services, more offerings. And now you're really a full service e-commerce agency. Exactly. Exactly. That's fantastic. Well, let's talk a little bit about the topic at hand today. And before mm -hmm. I, I, for those of you watching our video version, I'm going to put up an outline of today's show talk. But for those of you listening, I'll read through it. But before I do that, what are your thoughts on kind of the, the economy as it sits right now? Because really the topic is acquiring and retaining customers in this, mm -hmm. we're calling it a faltering economy. What are the differences you're seeing in today's economy, uh, certainly in the UK, but all over the world? Um, and some of the roadblocks you're seeing for your clients now that you don't feel like they had maybe five or 10 years ago? You know, I, th I think there's a couple of things here. I think 
first of all, when you know, when we when we talk about a faltering economy, I think we're we're on the verge of you know whatever you want to call it a recession. You know, we're on the verge of some tough times across the board. Really, I don't. I still don't think it's quite hit yet. But you can see across the ecosystem that people are preparing for, for some difficult times. And I think that's as a result of multiple things. I think at the beginning of, of the pandemic, you know, I hate to bring this up because it's, it's been talked about for, you know, over two years now, but at the beginning of the pandemic, e-commerce was perfectly placed to be uh, a super high growth industry. And it was, you know, we saw tremendous growth. Platforms like Shopify saw huge growth. We saw lots of e-commerce brands that were already in the direct consumer see a big boom in sales and and they scaled up significantly to to to, to service those increased sales really and there were there were two schools of thought at that time either that that process would push us five years ahead of where we where we thought we were going to be or that it would be a boom and then we would return to, to normal um so you see you saw different companies make different bets right oh, they had to they had to deal with the demand uh, but did they scale ahead based on based on a kind of a five-year boost in, in where they thought it was going to be? Now, what's actually happened is, yes, we saw a big boost. And we haven't really seen a decline. If you look back at 2019, you know, we're on the we're on the normal growth curve that we would have been if the pandemic hadn't have happened. But mm-hmm. we're not really in a position where we're significantly further ahead now than 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 we thought we were going to be if, if you look at the kind of the average growth of the industry. So we're not in a, a terrible, terrible position in e-commerce at the moment. But, you know, my thoughts are that the next couple of years are going to be fairly difficult for lots of brands, um, certainly brands that have that have not kind of that, that have not built a brand as such more retailers that are, that are driving on price and uh, driving on functions and features. Um, but, you know, there's lots of lots of things contributing to, to where the economy is right now and where it's going. But I think the signals are really clear that it, that it's going to be a tough couple of couple of years and there has to be a real focus on you know retention and maintenance of your existing business and more organic growth um because we are seeing rising costs across the board uh, especially in advertising you know yeah facebook ads have really changed the privacy mm-hmm. uh policies have changed the way things are working and we know, and this is interesting, we know that we need to be where our customers are, which is why mm-hmm. Engage created this amazing SMS messaging app that is mm-hmm. integrated with Shopify. But one thing I learned from uh, one of our previous guests is that you need to be where your customers are, but it's, they, they said, uh, actually, I think it's going to be the show after yours, but he shared that it's important to touch the same customer on mm-hmm. different platforms, not necessarily just be on every platform reaching different people, yeah. but you know, have a customer recognize you, recognize your story, your brand on the different platforms so that there's this integrated feeling and you're almost creating this community-like feeling where someone mm-hmm. feels like they're a part of your brand and a part of your story. So, and, and I do think we've learned that it is less expensive. Would you agree to retain a customer than to spend the money to try to acquire a new customer? Would you say that's that's accurate or do you have thoughts yeah. on that? Yeah, no, of course. I think that's it's been true across all of time. You know, mm-hmm. I think often these concepts are presented like 
their new information. And we're, we're especially good at that in agencies and digital about pretend, uh, presenting information like it's new. But that's been true of, um, you know, the golden era of advertising, the stuff that they were doing. If you watch Mad Men, the series, you know, putting, putting a full page ad in, uh, in a magazine, it's all about frequency. It's all about being where your customers are. It's getting in front of them as much as possible and getting in front of them in, in multiple places. You know, those those principles of advertising don't change. Mm -hmm. Just because, you know, a full page spread in a magazine has become a, a Facebook ad or an Instagram ad or a TikTok, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. those the, the principles remain the same. The technology and the platforms might change, but your your principles and your values should remain throughout those things. So definitely being where your customers are and communicating with them, not just where they are, but where they are in their customer journey as well is super yeah. important. You know, if they don't know about you, if they've never heard of you, then you need to introduce the brand. If they've bought your products before or they're considering buying your products already, then you need to talk to them in a different way. You might be talking to them about specific products or, or features or functions. You know, it's the right place at the right time with the right message. Uh, and that's where... You know, being as personal, that's where digital is really helpful because you can be much more personalized in, in what you're saying and really understand where the customer is in their journey. As a fellow stand-up comedian, I immediately wanted to say it's like dating, being in the right place at the right time, the right <laughs> message, and the right person at the right point of their love journey, right? Exactly. It's the same um, thing. Let's take a look at this wonderful outline you've prepared for us. Again, for those of you listening on the podcast, I'll read through this for you. For those of you watching our video show, you're welcome to read along with me. But acquiring and retaining customers in a faltering economy. Lewis is here to talk about how we're going to drive more traffic and increase customer retention using the SCALE framework. He'll talk about why customer acquisition costs are going up and why that's not going to change. Sounds scary, Lewis. He's going to talk about how to better utilize owned data for consistent sales growth and to help with that customer retention. And he'll share with us how we're going to focus on driving organic growth by establishing ourselves as a destination value-driven brand. So let's start our talk, Lewis, with this idea of increasing customer retention and driving traffic with what you're calling SCALE, and that's capital S-C-A-L-E framework. Mm -hmm. Does scale stand for something specific? Of course, yeah. What, what good <laughs> framework doesn't isn't an acronym? Um, yeah, so scale was scale was developed because I I was looking at what's out there in terms of customer journey and um, you know frameworks for marketing strategy really. And there's a couple that I think do do a good job. You've got um, you've got Google has C Think, Do Care. Um, Smart Insights is a great site and that has the uh, race framework. And I felt like they did a good job, but I still felt like they were missing elephant elements of that. So I, uh, I developed SCALE. So SCALE stands for Seek, Consider, Act, Love and Evangelize or Engage, depending on how much of a, a flourish you want to put on the end there. What um, was the last one? Seek, SCALE? Seek, Wait, consider, seek consider, Act love and evangelize or engage depending on which one ah, you want we'll go with engage with an n we'll change it to scalon <laughs> okay so engage with an e got it okay so seek consider act love engage yeah so one, one of the big one of the big challenges that brands have i think when certainly when they're marketing 
is they're thinking about everything very tactically. So they're thinking, right, we need to be on Facebook because customers are on Facebook. We need to be on Instagram. We need to be on TikTok. And, and they go through this cycle of dealing with each of their tactics in silos. So they deal with each element individually and they don't really think about how those things interact. And they're also not really thinking about how they're, where their customers are in the customer journey. So scale allows you to map out the totality of the customer journey. So seek is, you know, where are they searching for you? What problem are they trying to solve? Uh, and are you able to solve it? You know, it, it's the, the pure acquisition phase. People are, are trying to solve a problem and you have the solution to that problem. Uh, consider is all about who else are they looking at? What are their considerations when they're looking at purchasing? Is it price? Is it competitors? Is it functions? Is it features? You know, what are all of their considerations and where will those considerations be happening? Um, the act stage is all about the conversion point. So generally happens on your site, you know, for, for e-commerce brands, that is generally a purchase. There are other conversion points like signing up, but purchase is the big one. Uh, love is where most brands stop, to be honest with you. It's good customer service. It's um, good product. It's, it's the stuff that makes people um, love your product and love your brand. And then there's a step beyond that, which is, you know, the engage or, you know, creating evangelists, which is advocacy marketing. Mm. You know, the reason that people buy an iPhone over an Android phone and the reason people will queue up for an hour, hours and hours when the new iPhone gets released, because they are real advocates of the brand and they will fight to the death over the Apple is a, a better phone than an Android phone, yeah. even if the logic dictates that the technology is the same. So it's a, it's a step beyond all of the stuff within the love segment is what your customers expect of you, right? They expect good mm -hmm. customer service. They expect quick responses. They expect a good product. If you can go above and beyond that and create people who are so obsessed with your product that they become marketers for you and they're talking about it all the time, you, you, you know, you're creating a, a kind of cyclical and free marketing function there that you don't have to worry about. It just does the work for you. Um, so that's why the scale framework was developed. And you can almost put those letters up on a wall and map out all of the different activity that you're doing in each one of those sections and spot gaps in, in your marketing. So, you know, are we doing Facebook ads? How are we using Facebook ads? Well, we're trying to acquire customers and we're trying to convert customers, but we're not doing anything post-purchase and we're not doing anything during the stage where they're considering us against our biggest competitors. Same for Instagram, same for um, Google search, same for organic, you know. So mm -hmm. that, that's, uh, it, it helps you map out the customer journey, but also allows you to personalize your messaging for each one of those elements. So it's just a really good, well-rounded way to understand how you're currently performing uh, in terms of the total customer journey. And if you're engaging with all of the customers in a personalized way, in all of the places that they exist uh, at every area of the customer journey. That's perfect. It sounds like the perfect way to kind of spot check what you're doing and figure out where you have gaps as well and, and where you need to fill in the gaps where you need help from someone like you or your agency <laughs> even. That's okay. It. I like the way that you broke that down. That's easy to understand. It makes a lot of sense. And I think you touched on something that is <clears throat> so different. It, well, it's not different now, but the way that it behaves is different. And that's this idea of advocacy. Mm -hmm. In the past, before social media, 
if somebody loved an iPhone or loved a brand, they might mm -hmm. tell somebody, yeah, their mom or their sister or, or somebody who may ask, oh, I'm looking to buy a new phone. What did you buy this year or something? Mm -hmm. But now that a social media, it makes it so easy to share your love, your brands, your messaging, the things that make you happy with others, others that are not even in your circle, mm -hmm. uh, really adds a, a level of amazing power and the amazing communication, <laughs> right, to advocacy. But now yeah. also you have this idea of, influencers, micro influencers and, and celebrity influencers, and people can actually be financially rewarded for sharing their, yeah. um, their love and their loyalty of a brand with their network as well. So I think touching on that idea that, you know, not forgetting that last piece of engaging or creating mm -hmm. evangelists, as you said, that advocacy mm -hmm. piece is incredibly important and can be incredibly powerful if it's done yeah. well. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And you have to, you know, that, that's the difference between tactical marketing and strategic marketing is not only are you considering, considering the whole, the whole kind of journey, but you're also considering um, the, the kind of ways the different tactics interact with each other at every stage of that journey. Mm -hmm. So, you know, for example, you might see uh, the same tactic or the same platform appear throughout that customer journey. So Facebook and Instagram ads is, is always a good example that can exist throughout that whole customer journey, right? You can use it to acquire customers and you can uh, use it to cross sell customers that have already purchased from you. Um, and you can use it for pure engagement as well. But the way you use that tactic changes throughout. And of course, how you how you feed information and data to that tactic changes as you move through as well. So you know, how do all the different tactics work together? How is email working with um, social media? How is mm -hmm. um, your paid search strategy working with your SEO and organic search strategy? All of these things should interweave uh, and not be separate silos. And, and, and that's where you get much, you know, exponentially better results than, than you would do by treating them as individual pieces. That makes a lot of sense. Integration and strategic mm -hmm. integration, not doing all the pieces and like a puzzle you know yeah. when you put a puzzle together most people not everybody but a lot of people start with the framework around the mm -hmm. outside and then yep. they fill it in and everything's connected you don't start with like this little well some people do this little corner <laughs> this little corner but at the end no matter what everything is interconnected you don't yeah, end up with exactly. seven different little puzzles you end up with one beautiful totally interconnected puzzle exactly i like it i like it a lot Let's talk about why customer acquisition costs are going up and why mm -hmm. you don't really see that changing and you see that being a, a continued trend. Yeah, I, I mean, there's lots and lots of reasons why the cost of acquisition is going up. I think as, as you, uh, I think you mentioned earlier, you know, the ability to track and attribute sales to a specific channel is becoming more and more difficult. Mm -hmm. And we've we've trained ourselves, certainly as digital marketers, to be hyper dependent on one to one attribution. So this channel, uh, this channel spent this much and returned this much, um, you know, unlike the old school uh, kind of traditional marketing where you would put something in and say this got this was in front of, you know, X million number of people. Uh, and then you kind of anecdotally relate sales back to that later down the line. With digital marketing, we were always about, we spent a pound here and we returned three pound here or dollars, if, if that's easier. Mm -hmm. 
And now it's becoming much more difficult to do that because uh, because privacy on phones and the ability to track is is becoming much more difficult. Um, Apple's updates have, have have seen to you know lots of customers opting out of uh, opting out of general tracking and, and cookie based tracking is becoming more difficult. So we're in a position now where there's the potential that attribution costs, uh, sorry, acquisition costs seem much higher because we're just unable to, we're not able to attribute as much to those channels as we were previously. Mm-hmm. But the reason I say I don't think it's going to change is because we've seen this cycle before. Google ads used to be very, very cheap. And it's it's the it's a supply and demand thing, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, insurance companies are a really great example of driving up the cost on on ads because they were willing to spend quite a lot to acquire a customer. So what, when, when, you know, when Google advertising first start started, what might've been 10, 20, 30 pence per click for various insurance terms, um, you know, is, is probably more like 10, 20 pounds per click now, because the market drives the price up with Google. You set a, a series of keywords and you say, this is how much I'm willing to pay for for each click uh, uh, on my ad. So if everybody is willing to pay more, the price of those things go up. And then over time, we've seen, we we saw that happen with Google. Google is is more expensive per click um, today than it was six months ago, a year ago. So that's already happened with Google. And of course that happens with every every advertising Mm -hmm. platform. So Facebook to start off with, it was very, very cheap to, to, you know, you really started off as a platform, you were buying impressions, you were buying eyes on your content. And then the mm-hmm. ad platform was developed. And, you know, people uh, made really good returns off Facebook and Instagram ads for, for a very long time. But as soon as the big players start to come in, you know, you're your kind of your Coca-Colas, your Nikes, your, your, all of these big players, as soon as they're willing to start advertising on those platforms and they, they've got very, very deep pockets, then of course the competition increases and therefore the price to to advertise on those platforms gets higher. So you, you, you kind of window of opportunity for cheap acquisition on any platform is always limited. Mm-hmm. So Facebook and Instagram is more expensive now than it was. So what happens? TikTok reveals itself as the next, um, uh, the kind of next, uh, the next golden child of advertising. Um, and a people... destination, right? Like yeah, exactly. that's advertising destination. Exactly. exactly. So, you know, we, we, we move budget from, from Google advertising into Facebook advertising. We move Facebook advertising into TikTok advertising. Um, so the same will happen with TikTok if, if the platform sustains and its advertising model works and people can get uh, cheap acquisition on there through, through paid means, then the demand will go up and therefore the price will go up and therefore the cost of acquisition will increase. There will be another platform and the same will happen again. And we will see this happen in cycles forever, I think. Um, but, it, but it's interesting to me because, you know, like I said, the pandemic was uh, was very, very difficult for lots of people. But it was a kind of we were in a boom in e-commerce because so many people wanted to start selling online. But really what that did is it forced brands to do what they should have been doing anyway, direct to consumer. Mm-hmm. selling and, and, and online advertising should have been a key part of every brand's mix um, throughout the 2000s, you know, from, from from certainly from like kind of 2010 onwards, 
the past 10 years, they should have been doing that. The pandemic forced them into a position where they had to do it. Now, the rising cost of acquisition is forcing people into a position, again, where they, they are starting to do what they should have been doing anyway. They're starting to build better relationships with their customers. They're starting to build brands rather than just sell products. And they're mm-hmm. starting to uh, adjust their focus to being growing through organic means rather than paying to acquire every customer. And the focus is definitely switching to retention of their existing customer base. So these are difficult times, but they are forcing brands into doing things that they should have been doing anyway. Not that they only should have been selling online and not that they only should have been um, growing through organic means, but that Mm -hmm. certainly should have been part of the mix and it certainly should have been part of where they were investing their marketing capital uh, into all of these different areas. So I think what we'll see now is that because of, because, uh, budgets are going to be less loose than they have been for the for the past couple of years. And because the cost of acquisition is going up and it's harder to attribute marketing, we will move towards a, uh, a world where people are, are more comfortable with anecdotally relating activity back to results mm-hmm. as they were historically, and that people are, uh, are much more focused on their own data and their and their organic growth rather than you know it's that old thing don't build your house on rented land which is what everyone's been doing for a long time Ah, yeah if if you built your business purely off the back of facebook and and this happened right when facebook was super cheap and you were buying impressions and they changed their algorithm or you had a huge organic reach on facebook and then they changed their algorithm overnight huge content brands disappeared because facebook were like okay you've you've had fun but now we're only going to let you reach five percent of your audience organically if you want to reach the other 95 percent uh you need to pay for that and i you know i think that's fine by facebook it's difficult for brands but facebook has shareholders to please and, and they've, they've got margins to maintain so you know it's it's part of it's it's clear where everyone's business model goes in terms of uh, online platforms and and building advertising into that gosh there's times I wish I would had a little Michael. Is it My- Michael Zuckerberg? Is that who created Facebook? I'm having a break. Mark Zuckerberg. Mark Zuckerberg. I knew it was Zuckerberg. Man, <laughs> if we only had an inkling, right? Back when, when we were, you know, younger and, you know, it was a college based program to mm-hmm. start. But gosh, if we only knew how Facebook would just evolve into this crazy e commerce machine. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's just, it kind of blows my mind when you really think about it and, yeah. you know, how smart Facebook has been, you know, to consistently kind of up the ante with their yeah. algorithms and their programming and everything happening on the back end. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just really crazy to think about. And in, in what you just shared, you brought up really the last few points too. You brought mm-hmm. up this idea of utilizing owned data. Mm-hmm. You brought up, you know, focusing on organic growth by establishing yourself as a destination mm-hmm. and a value-driven brand. That was an interesting analogy too. Don't, what did you say? Don't build your house don't, on don't build your house on rented land. land. Yeah. 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 What are, you know, just be, being that you're such an award-winning um, Shopify agency, what are the, are there a couple really big speed bumps or, you know, kind of, 
detours that you feel like e-commerce brands kind of get to or are experiencing when they come to you? Is it that they, you know, have the puzzle pieces in in place in terms of their story and their their brand and and the loyalty factor and they're, they're building their community, but they don't understand the technology side of how to, you know, you know, do the, you know, reaching the customers where they are. Is that kind of like one of the big disconnects that they don't have necessarily the knowledge or the expertise? Is that why you see a lot of, you know, e-commerce brands coming to you or is there something else? What's the driving force that's bringing your clients to you in today's you know, digital yeah, world. Yeah, I think knowledge and expertise is 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 kind of there throughout, regardless of of where they are. We we see a mix. We have some some brands that absolutely understand their values and their core um, their core mission. You know what they're trying to achieve. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have some brands, uh, but so they have that, but they don't necessarily have the other pieces of the puzzle where they're saying, well, how do we get this in front of people? Um, what does our tech stack look like? They just know they want to, they, they have real values that they want to get across and they built a company with a real strong, you know, as Simon Sinek would call it, he would say a real strong why, you know, they, they knew why they existed. They had a real strong purpose, but they don't necessarily have the other bits. Then we have other companies that, you know, have a, a pretty good tech stack and they have a pretty good suite of marketing, but they're not necessarily value driven. They're more retailers, right? They're just mm-hmm. selling products. Maybe they're even selling other people's brands, uh, but they don't they don't have a real strong brand themselves so that they're competing on product functions, features and price all the time. So the reason I always bring the 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 kind of functions and features and price up is because if you sell purely on that, then the minute someone comes out with a cheaper product that has better mm. functions and features, then then people will leave, right? If Apple just sold on their functions and features, you know, you would never you would never pay uh, fifteen hundred two thousand dollars for a phone. You would just buy the Android phone, right? Just just to be clear here, I am one of the one of the silly people that will buy an Apple phone for no other reason than 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 I quite like it, and I'm kind of locked into their ecosystem now. Um, so yeah, it, it's interesting, really. There's very different types of customers. Um, if you if you've got the values and you've got a, a real strong kind of purpose, then that's a good start. Because there's there's that quote. Um, can't remember the guy's name, but it was a Harvard Harvard business professor who said people don't buy um, quarter inch drills; they want a quarter inch hole. They're, they're not buying it because they want the drill. It's, it's the end product that they want, right? They want to be able to drill a hole. And then you can take that a step further and say, you know, are they are they drilling a hole because they want to hang a family portrait? Is it, you know, is there an emotional attachment there? There's, there's lots of, there's kind of a whole series of things you can go through there to move from, we sell a drill that can drill a quarter inch hole through to, you know, we give you the ability to um, create a family home. Surround yourself with family memories, exactly. right? Exactly. Yeah. It's We always say people don't connect with brands. They connect with people. They, mm-hmm. And like you said, they connect with stories. They connect with the end result and what that means for them and how it makes yeah. their life better or easier or more meaningful. Yeah, yeah. for sure. And then there's lots of interesting brands out there that have real strong missions that you wouldn't necessarily have related to them initially so ring ring doorbells you know the the smart doorbells is is a really good example when they were initially started their mission was to increase security in neighborhoods that was their aim and when they were kind of initially 
um, looking for investment, people really couldn't understand how a, how a, a doorbell would do that. But as they've built out a, a, a wider range of products, that's stayed at the core of what they're trying to do. So they had people in, in the company that had lots of great ideas, but if they didn't relate back to increasing security in neighborhoods, then they didn't build those products. And of course, now you see videos of, of ring doorbells proving that all the time, you know, catching yeah. parcel thieves and, you know. Um, we literally just bought the whole ring setup this week yeah. and, and we're nice. in the process okay. of setting it up. And uh, not only did it uh, certainly give us peace of mind to know mm -hmm. now we have this, this, you know, technology to help, but we know that it has a, a really, like you said, a proven track record mm -hmm. uh, to just make people feel like they are making their community safer as well. Yeah. You know, it yeah. takes it, you're right. It takes it back to the story that they're telling and that they're telling it well. And they're giving people um, not only the feeling of security, but the feeling of being part of something bigger and better. Yeah. So, I mean, if you, if you, if you have a brand and you can't answer the question, what is, you know, what is your purpose? What are your values? Then you're in a really difficult position because if you don't, if you can't explain your values and you can't explain your mission, uh, clearly internally as a brand, then it's really hard to express that externally to mm -hmm. your customers. And I'm not saying you have to go there and, you know, you, you don't really you don't really see Ring going out there and using those exact words, but everything they do is around building security and building peace of mind. Yeah. Um, so the product is, is secondary to that, right? You buy Ring over other products, not necessarily because they're better, but because what they're saying resonates resonates with you. And your friends trust it and your families trust it. And that's where the advocacy piece comes in as well. Mm -hmm. So you can kind of see with successful brands who have done this really well, you can see all those different elements and you can reverse engineer that back into what you're doing. And if you understand your mission, then everything you do, whether that's sending an SMS, whether it's um, creating a Facebook ad or sending an email or your customer service person replying to a complaint, that tone of voice and that mission, everything needs to relate back to that. So, you know, if I've got a complaint um, and I'm talking with customer service, they should hold the same tone of voice and the same intent that your initial Facebook ad or your headline on your website has. You know, mm -hmm. there shouldn't be a juxtaposition between the post-purchase once I've already bought the product and the, the pre-purchase acquisition bit. And that's 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 what being a value-driven band is. It's ha having a, a really clear purpose and having that resonate through everything you do. And then when you're talking to your customers, your customers will end up being the people that your message resonates with, also, or certainly the people that will continue buying with you and become advocates of your brand and um, and you know, like I said, become evangelists of what you're doing. So that's why I think it's important to be value driven and, and to be a destination rather than just selling products makes complete sense takes everything full circle i think as the economy continues down mm -hmm. this kind of uneasy path that makes all of us as consumers nervous mm -hmm. we definitely feel good when we feel like brands hear us and brands care about what we care about and mm -hmm. the narrative you know feels more um it comes from more of a place of loyalty and understanding versus feeling like we're being sold or taken advantage of, or that we are just helping them get to their end game and mm -hmm. they're not helping us get to our end game, which is everybody wants to feel safe, protected, you know, mm -hmm. secure, love. They want their family safe, protected, mm -hmm. and 
you know, we all live in a place where we can grow and prosper, you know what I mean? And as you mentioned, we're kind of at the verge of this idea of a recession. Mm -hmm. And I think that is just really making everybody kind of look a little bit harder at how they're spending their dollars, where they're Mm -hmm. spending their dollars and and what they're getting for their dollars. So if you've got that value driven brand and you've got all of the pieces in place, Mm-hmm. Um, as you said, strategically across all the channels the right way and the narrative is the same and it's very connective and cohesive, mm-hmm. you're going to take customers on a journey that they feel good about ultimately. Exactly. You're going to tell your story well, right? Exactly. Exactly. Love it. Lewis, you've shared some really wonderful insights during our, our time together. As we wrap up, are there any uh, final thoughts you'd like to share with our audience? I'll share how they can connect with you in just a moment, but any uh, any last little words or tips or uh, insights you'd like to share? No, I think I think you know just to to conclude and, and wrap it all up. Just remember that you, you need to be communicating across the total customer journey. So remembering that seek, consider, act, love, engage, uh, the scale framework, uh, and that you need to have consistency in terms of tone of voice uh, and just ensure that your values. Uh, are, are, are kind of littered throughout that customer journey and you're as personalized as possible and and utilize every tactic that you have uh in your in your kind of toolkit um but make sure you're just using the right things in the right places and like i said focus on the, your own data and uh the stuff that the, the kind of opportunities you already have um and the acquisition will come if you can get the advocacy bit right and it will come at a, a much cheaper cost Fantastic. Well, if anything today uh, resonated with you, if you have questions, if you're interested in understanding more about what um, Eastside Co. can do for your brand, I do want to share how you can connect with Lewis. He's very open to connecting on LinkedIn. As always, I always advise you to leave a message when you connect with any of our guests so they know that you heard them on our show uh, let them know who you are and and why you're connecting. And you can find Lewis simply by searching his name. It's Lewis, L-O-U-I-S-G Thompson, T-H-O-M-P-S-O-N. So look for Lewis on LinkedIn, connect with him there. And then eastsideco.com, www.eastsideco, eastsideco.com is where you can find more about what his Shopify partner agency does for brands and what they can do for you and your company and your brand, a premier Shopify agency specializing in design development and e-commerce marketing solutions for global brands. That's really their tagline. What can our audience find? I know there's a a free guide that you offer as well on your website. Is that right, Lewis? Yes. So we've got an internationalization guide up at the moment. So you can go on the site and just enter your email and, and download that guide for free. That's really for brands who uh, are looking to, you know, whether that's go from the US into, into Europe or uh, in from the UK into Europe, wherever you might be, if you're looking to cross borders, there's a really good guide there in terms of breaking down all of the things that you need to be thinking about. Uh, and it's very specific to, to Shopify, but broadly applicable to e-commerce as well. Uh, and we have more guides uh, coming out uh, over the, the remainder of this year. So you can keep an eye out for those. If you sign up to the mailing list on there, you can you can get access to all of those things. Fantastic. 
Well, Lewis, thank you so much for joining us today for an episode of Digital Marketing Intelligence for Shopify. Thank you for being our expert, sharing some wonderful insights, wonderful solutions, and also some great examples to help us understand not only the idea of the scale framework, which I really like for retaining customers, but again, how to tell your story well and how to make sure that that story is cohesive throughout the different channels and how you can be strategic with data. All the things you shared, I think were very helpful, especially as we continue to experience an economy that's a little bit uncertain. And mm -hmm. uh, I think, you know, again, companies have the power to make customers feel something. We all, we know this because we've had good experiences with companies and we've had bad ones, mm -hmm. but we all know that when we have a bad experience, we tend to be a little more vocal about it. Um, so it's even more important, I think, to make sure that we have good customer experiences, um, you know, to lead our companies into um, advocacy opportunities that you shared, um, influencer opportunities, and, and just uh, good experiences sometimes don't travel as far. So having more of them is important. Exactly. I appreciate you having me. Thanks so much. Oh, our pleasure. Thank you so much again for being our expert. Have a wonderful rest of your week and we look forward to speaking with you again. Bye -bye. Have a great day. What a wonderful guest today. I really love the way he broke down some incredible opportunities to not only retain the customers you have, but obviously drive more traffic to your brand. And then once you get that traffic there, again, how do you retain them? How do you keep those customers? Because we know the cost of Keeping and maintaining a customer is so much, so much less than trying to go out and get new customers. So wonderful, wonderful talk. If you enjoyed the insights today from our guest, Lewis Thompson, make sure you connect with him on LinkedIn and check out his award-winning Shopify agency, eastsideco.com. And in the meantime, if you are a Shopify agency owner, if you're a Shopify store owner, if you've developed an app for Shopify that has been very successful and you want to share your insights with us and with our community of Shopify store owners, agency owners, and investors, check us out on LinkedIn. You can connect with me on LinkedIn. The Marissa Morgan is how you find me. And you can email me if you're interested in coming on our show as a guest as well. And my email is Marissa, M-A-R-I-S-S-A dot M at ngagge.com. And don't forget, if you are a Shopify store owner, if you're looking to add that SMS piece to your digital marketing strategy, you've got to check out the Engage SMS messaging for Shopify store app. And you can find out more about that at ngage, N-G-A-G-G-E.com, where you can also take it for a free 30-day test drive. On behalf of myself and the entire team at Engage, I want to thank you so much for joining me for another incredible and invaluable episode of our show. Have a wonderful week. And don't forget, forget to connect with our guest, Lewis Thompson, on Facebook. That's Lewis G. Thompson. Or visit www.eastsideco.com for more information about how his agency can help your brand when it comes to globalizing and scaling on Shopify. Have a great day, everybody. We'll see you next time.